Happy Easter. Let's rise up in this place. Let's praise the Lord because he lives. Here we go.
right, so glad you're here, everybody. Happy Easter. Before you have a seat, take just a minute and say hello to somebody around you. Tell them happy Easter. You can go ahead and have a seat. Great to be with you on this day where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am Dan Davis, the senior pastor here at Hopevale, and so glad that you are sharing Easter Sunday with us. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's Good Friday. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. That's today, Easter Sunday. And there is a tradition that extends throughout the generations among the Christian church. It's a very simple call and response. It starts with, He is risen, and the response is, He is risen indeed. So let's go ahead and do that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Great job. That is what we celebrate today. Wow, things look pretty full here. You showed up early. That is great. Thankfully, though, it looks like, yes, I was afraid that this service might be overbooked and that we would have to reaccommodate you to another service, <laughs> and that would be a drag, so I'm glad that we didn't have to go that route. We'll have to see how the others go as well. If you're visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. So glad you're here. So glad you could share this time of worship with us. As we continue on, we're going to take up our offering. We do that every Sunday here at Hopevale as an act of worship, just like the singing, just like the praying. If you're visiting with us, don't feel like you have to give. Don't want you to feel put on the spot. If you'd like to, that's great. Either way is fine with us. We just want to extend this opportunity for those who call Hopevale their home to worship our God on this most glorious of Sundays. So let's have the ushers come forward and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is great to be in this place. It is great to celebrate that most wonderful news on Easter Sunday that Jesus, he is not here, he is risen. And all that that means, that the story doesn't end on Friday, the story continues on, the song that never ends that we've joined in today, that Jesus is alive and that because of that, there is freedom, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is eternal life. And Lord, you are to be praised because of that. Lord, for every life, for every heart in this room, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in very loving and very powerful and very unique ways. And yet at the same time, Lord, we would lift up a common voice, a common heart to you and give you the praise that you deserve. And that's what this offering is about, Lord. It's about honoring you, about worshiping you, about praising our God from whom all blessings flow. And so as we continue in worship, we give you our hearts, our praise, our lives, our worship, all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's remain seated as we give. We'll stand in just a few moments. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Here's my night, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest
God, you are so powerful to do, have done what you've done through your son on the cross. God, on a day like today, we thank Jesus because of what he did so willingly, but it was all in your plan, Father God, creator of the universe, the one who's made us for himself, the one who's decided to reveal himself to his people and to redeem his people. One major time in the Old Testament in Exodus through the Israelites when they were saved out of the bondage of their slavery. And then the other time in the New Testament when Jesus came as a sacrifice and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. You reveal yourself and you've redeemed your people. Thank you for that redemption today, Lord. We worship you and honor you because of it. God, we pray for Pastor Dan as he prepares to encourage us and inspire us through the teaching of your scriptures today. As a church, we ask your blessing on him that the words of his mouth would give you praise. And as a church, we pray and say, amen. Amen. God bless you, gang. You may be seated. been a great morning of worship together, and that video we just watched really captures the essence of why we are here today, of who Jesus is and why Easter matters. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the messenger. He is the humble king. He is the bread of life, but he was rejected, abandoned, mocked, beaten, bruised, pierced, crucified for our sins in our place and then buried in a tomb, with an entrance that was covered by a large disc-shaped rock and then guarded and secured with a Roman seal. That's the story, or at least part of it. That's not the main reason we celebrate today, but it's something we shouldn't ever forget because you can't make sense of the joy of Easter Sunday without the gloom and the despair of Good Friday, of all that Jesus suffered, not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, right up to the time of his death. But thanks be to God, that's not how the story ends, right? The nails could not hold him. The cross could not finish him. The stone could not keep him. Death could not defeat him. That why, that's why Jesus is our Redeemer, our Ransom, our Deliverer, our Savior. He is mighty. He is glorious. He is holy, he is exalted, and he is risen. Well, one of our Easter traditions around here is that 
We like to read through the Bible's account of what actually took place 2,000 years ago, early on that Easter Sunday morning, and we're going to do that together as a responsive reading. I'm going to have us alternate verses. I'll start. I'll read the odd numbered verses, and you'll respond by reading the even numbered verses that are colored in red. So I'm going to have you stand with me. Let's do that together. Passage we're going to read is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. I'll begin. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then he remembered his words. Thank you. Well done. You can go ahead and be seated. This is the Easter story. This is what we're celebrating today. And as I've been thinking about this story, I, I've been doing so these last couple weeks in light of a trip to Israel that a group of us from Hopeville recently took. Israel, the, the land of the Bible, and more specifically, Jerusalem, where all these Easter events took place, Now, in addition to taking in all these biblical sites, historical museums, and archaeological ruins while we were there, we also got a taste of Hebrew culture today in 2017, a culture that's still greatly influenced by the writings of the Old Testament from thousands of years ago, even before the time of Christ. Now, you see this play out in a lot of ways, but the one that probably struck me the most was the observance of the Sabbath in Israeli culture, the observance of the Sabbath, that from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, practicing Jews are not allowed to do any work during that time. And I'm not just talking about them not going to work and having the day off, even though most of the stores and businesses are closed on Saturday. No, I'm talking about the prohibition of certain types of just physical exertion that we would consider normal. I remember going down for breakfast that first Saturday. We were there, and and much to my shock and disappointment, the barista who was making lattes and cappuccinos the two previous mornings, he wasn't there. First world problems, right? Yeah. Not only was he not there, though, the machine was turned off because to operate that coffee machine would be a violation of the Sabbath. Similarly, at our multi-story hotel, only one of the elevators was in operation on the Sabbath. And the elevator, it was pre-programmed to stop at every single floor where the doors would automatically open. Why was that? Well, because to push elevator buttons meant you were doing work on the Sabbath. Pretty crazy stuff, right? 
Now, I share all that with you today because those stories really do color these Passion Week events from 2,000 years ago. Think about it. The Bible says that Jesus was put to death on a Friday. More specifically, that he hung on a cross in great agony from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, where during those final three hours, the Bible tells us, there was this heavy, foreboding darkness that covered the land, even though the sun had not yet set. So right around 3 p.m., Jesus utters his final words, breathes his last breath, and his life is no more. Now, 3 in the afternoon is an interesting time of day for Jesus to die. The Bible says that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who had condemned Jesus to death, was actually shocked that it had happened so soon. And yet, think about it. It's not just three in the afternoon. It's three in the afternoon on a Friday with the start of the Sabbath just three hours away. Now, think about this. If you can't push buttons on an Israeli elevator in 2017, you certainly couldn't 2,000 years ago give a corpse a proper burial on the Sabbath, right? I mean, think about this. Had Jesus died just a few hours later that Friday, his body would have had to have been left up on a cross through the weekend, and those who cared for him would have had to wait until Sunday to take it down. But that's not how God in his providence would have things play out. No, the Bible tells us that there was enough time for his friends to take Jesus down from the cross, to wash his body, to apply the appropriate myrrh and aloes for embalming, to wrap his corpse in proper burial linens, and then to lay him in a tomb that was given to them by Joseph of Arimathea, with several of them there to witness his burial. All this takes place before sundown on Friday, and then the Sabbath happens. Sundown Friday, all through the night, right into Saturday morning, and then all throughout the whole rest of the day. Now, with all that time, we can only begin to imagine what's running through the minds of his followers and all the mixed-up emotions they must have felt. Think about it. The events of Thursday and Friday had been a whirlwind, the Last Supper. Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, Barabbas' release, the unjust trials, the inhumane beatings, the ruthless mockings, and then their master, their rabbi, their Lord. They helplessly watch him hang from a humiliating cross, suffering immensely and eventually dying. Needless to say, that's not what they had expected. That's not how they imagined their time with Jesus coming to an end. Not only that, but it's now the Sabbath, so all they can really do is wait. Wait and worry and wonder and pray. Pray if they can muster up the strength to do so, right? That's it. The Sabbath had prohibited them from going to the tomb. And even when the Sabbath had added on Saturday night, it was too dark by that point, and no one back then would have ever visited a gravesite at night. No, the story comes to this standstill on Saturday. And everyone just has to wait until Sunday to see what happens next. Well, we read what happens next, didn't we? Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 1, that on the first day of the week, Sunday, right? Which is kind of like, um, you know, our Monday, right? First day of the week. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, we'll see the name of these women a little later on. To me, I just like to think of them as uh, the original Spice Girls. I know, lame. (laughs) I'm a dad. That's what we do. We just tell bad jokes, right? 
Beyond their names, though, you might be wondering, why do they have spices with them? Well, they're not for cooking. No, they're for embalming. These organic spices were used back then because they were known to prevent or prolong decay of the body. And so they're going to do this to Jesus, treat his body in a respectful and honoring way to complete the burial process. That's the plan anyways, because as far as they know, or anyone else for that matter, Jesus is dead and still lying in that tomb. But we read on, and we know, right, they were in for a surprise. Surprise number one, they saw that that large ceiling stone was rolled away from the tomb. Surprise number two, they went in and and discovered that the body of Jesus was not in that tomb. Surprise number three, they were visited by two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, angelic beings, no doubt, who tell these women that Jesus is risen from the dead just like he had told them. Now, you can imagine how much that is for them to take in. But as you read in verse 8, then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words that he had said something about this before. So does now everything make sense to them? Are they connecting the dots? Did they fully grasp what they had just seen and heard? Maybe. We're not entirely sure, but we do know that they took off from there right away to tell their friends what had just happened. And this next part of the story is where I want us to spend our time together because the experience of the disciples that they went to tell is a lot like ours when we think about the Easter story. It's a lot like ours. And when I say ours, I'm not just talking about people here who call Hopevale their church home. I'm talking about everyone who's in this room today and really everyone who's part of this world. Over the last several weeks, our church has been going through a message series entitled Crossroads. Crossroads, where our story meets his, his being the story of Jesus. And each week in this series, we've looked at different people in the Bible and how their stories intersect with Jesus' story during the final hours and days of his life. People like Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, who once was a trusted disciple. People like Peter, the wildly emotional disciple of Jesus, who had both denied knowing him hours before his death and yet later was restored by Jesus following his resurrection. People like Barabbas, the death row criminal who undeservedly finds freedom while Jesus, the innocent one, takes his place and is executed on the cross. Three real, historical, personal, applicable stories that connect to the plot lines of our own lives today. Stories that show us, you, me, everyone here, that we too can have our own crossroads moments with Jesus today, just like they did 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, I think that this Easter Sunday, 2017, can be one of those crossroads moments for everyone here. I really do, that as we come face to face with the singular event that not only changed the course of human history, but the event that also has the power to change forever the course of our own personal histories as well. So with that in mind, let's go back to Luke chapter 24 and see what happens next. And as we do, I want you to think about just your own life, the life of Jesus and how those two intersect at the crossroads. So picking things up, Luke 24, verse 9, when they, the women, came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene 
Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, just imagine their excitement in trying to tell this story. The sealing stone rolled away from the tomb that when they went in, Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb. And as they're trying to make sense of this, angels appear to them and tell them what had happened, that the reason Jesus isn't in the tomb is because he's risen from the dead. Wow, you can just picture them talking a million miles a minute, maybe all at the same time, trying to convey to the rest of the group the miracle of what they had just seen and heard. So how would all that go for them? Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense, what a word. You know, actually, if you look in the thesaurus, There are actually a lot of other fun words that are synonyms for nonsense. Words like babble, baloney, balderdash, bunk, gibberish, gobbledygook, poppycock, hogwash, hooey, rot, rubbish, mumbo-jumbo. A lot of fun words, and those are the only ones I can say in church, right? The point is, (laughs) as excited as these women were, the disciples and the others weren't buying it. And why weren't they buying it? Well, maybe they didn't believe the messengers. Maybe they were culturally conditioned, as many were back then, to devalue the word of a woman. And yet you've got to understand that these group, this group of friends, they, they knew each other very well. Most of them were from the same region in Galilee, and over the last three years they had spent a lot of time together as followers of Jesus and had watched him perform numerous miracles. So this isn't like us turning on the TV and seeing that guy we've never met before from the sticks who, you know, says he's been taken up by a UFO, right? No, these are family members. These are friends. And yet, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So maybe it wasn't the messengers. No, it was probably the message, this preposterous news that Jesus wasn't in the tomb because he had risen from the dead. So to the disciples, I mean, this was just pure nonsense, hogwash, hooey, that this just doesn't happen. Sure, they had seen Jesus perform miracles before. They even witnessed Jesus calling forth Lazarus from the dead. And yet, here, they just couldn't believe the news. When I think of the disciples at this moment, it reminds me of the first Easter crossroads we all have to face. The first crossroads, and it's the crossroads of openness. Do I think the resurrection really happened, or do I think it's nonsense? Do I think the resurrection really happened, or do I think it's nonsense? Am I open to consider that Jesus died on the cross and actually rose from the dead? Now, for some people today, it is nonsense. The belief that Jesus really died and then actually came back to life. That might be the stuff of movies and myths, but it's not the stuff of real life. And maybe that's you, that your scientific, logical, rational mind just won't believe the miraculous. And so you're not willing to open that door, right? Maybe that's you. Now, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There's actually a lot more history to it than some of you might think, but what you believe, that's not my choice, that's yours. I just want you to have the courage, though, that as we talk about the Easter story today, is that you would decide something something. Call it nonsense and walk away, or at least be open, right? Be open to the possibility that maybe it really did happen. See, that right there is the first Easter crossroads, and maybe today's the day 
Today's the day where you're going to crack open the door of possibility that you've had shot for quite some time. That's the first Easter crossroads, the crossroads of openness. But the story goes on, verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So here's Peter. This is just days after, on three separate occasions, denying that he was even acquainted with Jesus. And now he hears this mind-boggling news from these women that he's known for years. And while it might have first struck him as nonsense, he was willing to crack the door to find out more. And when he did, it rocked his world. He runs to the tomb, he sees these strips of burial linen lying by themselves, and it piques his curiosity, wondering to himself what had happened. I love that word, wonder. Wonder. It's an active word. It's an open word. It's a seeking word. It's a word that I think captures well then the second Easter crossroads, and that's the crossroads of curiosity, that if we make our way past openness, curiosity says, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean to me personally? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean to me personally? Will I pursue my wonder that his death and resurrection aren't just real, but that they're also for me. See, this is where the Easter story starts getting personal, that beyond head knowledge and mental assent of believing in the reality that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death on the cross, that he rose from the grave three days later, that beyond what we can accept in our head, there's also what we're willing to believe in our hearts. What does the Easter story mean for me? You know, when I look back at Peter's experience in the tomb, I think we all have moments like that in our own life where something strikes us, just like those strips of burial linen, and it stirs in us a genuine wonder, an honest curiosity. Now, we're not going to experience the exact same thing Peter did, right? But I truly believe that God, in his own way, gives us all of these kind of strips of linen moment in life that leads us to wonder, spiritual curiosity. Maybe it's your experience with a Christian friend. You've spent time with them, you've observed their life, and there's something about them that's awfully appealing to you. Maybe it's their sense of self. Maybe it's their sense of peace. Maybe it's their sense of faith that's missing from your life, and you wonder. Or maybe it's a song you've heard recently, a book you've read, a movie you've seen, a service you've attended, and it's stirred something spiritual deep within you, and you just can't quite shake it, right? Wonder. Or maybe it's today. Maybe it's in this service. Now, you might be here just out of habit or family obligation. After all, it's Easter. I understand that happens. But there's something different this year. Something you've sung, something you've heard, and it leaves you generally wondering what all this means for you. Listen, pay attention to that curiosity. Don't shake it off. Open your heart. And let God, the living God, speak to you in a personal way. Well, Peter was certainly curious, and as Luke goes on, the attention shifts back to Jesus when he encounters two guys walking on a road to a town called Emmaus. 
It's the story of two men in the presence of the resurrected Christ and their gradual spiritual awakening, going from discouragement and disbelief to genuine personal faith. It's a great story. And then right after it happens, those two men go straight back to Jerusalem, tell the group exactly what the women had told them earlier, that Jesus is alive. And so picking things up, Luke 24, verse 38, 36, excuse me. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they, they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And they did. They touched him. Luke goes on to say that they even saw him eat some broiled fish in their presence to prove it was really him in the body. Dropping down to verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures that once was vague and fuzzy to them is now becoming clear. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The disciples who had seen the resurrected Christ, witnesses to these things. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what happened. That these witnesses, along with many others, formed the first Christian church, a church built upon this one singular message that we're celebrating today, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that he is the savior of mankind, that he suffered on the cross for our sins and that he rose again from the dead on the third day. And that through faith in him, through repentance or the turning away from our selfishness and self-reliance, there is forgiveness for our sins. There is the gift of eternal life. That all began 2,000 years ago and the message is still true today, which leads us then to crossroads number three, the crossroads of faith. Openness, curiosity, faith. Will I trust in Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins? Will I trust in Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins? Do I believe with all my heart that Jesus died and rose again for me? The Bible makes this clear that this is what defines a Christian. Right here, it's personal faith in a crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. See, so many of us have been conditioned to think that religion is what we can do for God. The story of Good Friday and Easter Sunday makes it clear that genuine Christian faith starts with what Jesus has already done for us. What he has done for us and our personal acceptance of that makes all the difference in the world. Again, this kind of personal heart commitment, that's ultimately between you and God. I can't decide it for you. Your parents can't decide it for you. Your spouse, your friends, they can't either. No, this is between you and God. But as you think about that, as you think about it becoming personal in your life, you need to know that the Easter story that we've walked through today is the greatest love story ever told. It is. It is the story of God's great love for you and his willingness to do whatever it takes, including giving up his one and only son, Jesus so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be brought into a forever relationship with him. Right? This Easter, I want to invite you to know that love, 
to experience that love by personally trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, some of you may be back at crossroads number one or crossroads number two, and that's fine. But i got to believe that some of you are at and have been at this crossroads of faith. And today can be the day that you tell Jesus that you want him. You need him to be your Savior. That's what Easter is all about. Well, Luke goes on from here and tells us about the very end of the 40 days after the resurrection in the life of Jesus. He's with these same disciples, verse 50. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Don't miss the connection between worship and great joy. Don't miss it, because these two always go together. Now, I know many of you here have already crossed that line of personal faith in Jesus Christ. You've already worked through crossroads number three, but you need to know that's not the end of your faith journey. No, it's just the beginning That just as a wedding launches a couple into a lifetime of marriage, so too does your personal faith in Jesus Christ propel you into a lifetime of following him and growing in that relationship. That is Easter crossroads number four, the crossroads of worship. Will I worship Jesus above everything else for the rest of my life? Will I worship Jesus above everything else for the rest of my life? Will I follow Jesus for every hour of my week and every area of my life? That's the crossroads. And it's why we exist as a church, to invite you to know and follow Jesus together with us. Now, I'll be the first one to say that we are far from perfect. We are a messy bunch of forgiven sinners who are saved by the grace of God. But we share a common faith. We obey a common book. We serve a common God. And we love a common Savior. And so even despite our differences and our deficiencies, we find our unity in Jesus Christ. And so just like those disciples, we too believe that great joy is found in great worship. Great joy is found in great worship. And so if you need a church home, if you need a place to worship weekly, if you need a place where others can encourage you in your faith, we'd love you to join us on Sundays, to take a step of moment, to be a part of our church family. It's the natural next step. Openness, curiosity, faith, worship. Well, as I close, I'm going to invite Pastor Billy and our worship team back on stage. And as they make their way here, there's one final verse I'm going to share with you. This also takes place after that first Easter Sunday. Jesus appears before his disciples, and one in particular, a man named Thomas. Thomas interacts with Jesus in the flesh, and Thomas moves from doubt to faith. Afterwards, Jesus says to him in John 20, verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That just like Mary Magdalene, that just like Peter, Thomas got to see Jesus with his own eyes, touch him with his own hands, and that's what helped lead him to this place of faith and worship. But for those of us here who don't have that opportunity, Jesus has this to say. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed, that's you, that's me. 
See, whether this Easter and the crossroads you face is one of openness, curiosity, faith, worship, you need to know that the blessings of God are waiting for you. They're waiting for you. And because he lives, there are not only rich blessings for this life, but there are even greater blessings for the life to come. The life to come where we will enter into the beauty of heaven as we worship forever the one who has conquered death, Jesus Christ, our glorified Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the news that Jesus is alive. That we do not need to look for the living among the dead. He's not there, he is risen. And in rising from the dead has conquered sin, has conquered death, and has opened up the way to forgiveness of sins and knowing you forever, God. Pray for all of us, Lord, as we make our way through these crossroads of openness, of curiosity. For those who are crossing the line of personal faith today, may you affirm your great love for them and for worship. That's why we're here, to worship. To worship you, Jesus, for you indeed are forever glorified. So as we close this service, as we lift up our voices, we worship you and pray in your holy and precious name. Amen.
there are words for him that I don't have. You see, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of the Lord. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of our Lord. And my voice you see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, that it's hard to even send the praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable indefinable yet approachable indescribable yet personal he is beyond comprehension further than imagination he is constant through generations king of every nation but if there are words for him then i don't have them you see my words are few and in trying to capture the one true god using my vocabulary would never do so i use words as an expression an expression of worship to a savior a savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise so i use words my heart extols the lord blesses his name forever he has won my heart captured my mind and has bound them both together he has conquered my rebellion and defeated my sin 
He has welcomed me into his presence, completely letting me in. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning and drowning me with graces at night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news, for my God knew that man-made words would never do. The words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. But God sent his son, the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. For he is above all things, and over all things he reigns. Holy is his name. So praise him for his life. He persevered in strife. The humble Son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. So praise Him for His death. That He willingly stood in our place. That He lovingly endured the grave. That He found our enemy and on the third day rose in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise Him as the risen King. Lift your voice and sing. do this but woo! he is risen he is risen indeed what a way to celebrate and worship on this Easter Sunday so glad you could share it with us if you're visiting we have a special treat for you we'd love to stop by have you stop by the welcome center and just say thanks for popping by when, uh, I know some of you are like can I pretend to be a visitor right yeah no we're in church. All right. Hey, we'd love for you to come back next week. We'll have another great service of worship, including celebrating 
baptism of those professing their faith in our wonderful Lord. As you go from here, go in the blessings of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.